I'm here with uh, Layla Miller, author of Made This Way, co-authored with uh, Trent Horn. And Layla, you tackle the tough issues in our culture today that we're fighting a cultural war, and but you bring it home that we're fighting for the hearts and minds of young people. This book was written to how to speak to young people. Um, and you wanted to use a natural law approach. What does that mean? So basically, the natural law is the universal moral law, and we can ascertain, despite use of our own human reason, uh, the nature of a thing and then how we would use that thing according to its nature. Because if we use something according to its nature, things tend to thrive. If we use something against its nature, things tend to go wrong. So that's true not only for the things that we create, like chairs and clocks and forks and tables, and but it also is true for what God has created, including the human person, human bodies, um, human sexuality, and our morality. So we, we take that reasoned approach to things in the book. And our culture doesn't want to look at that, but human sexuality has a law written in our bodies that we can discover. And you, you quote Dr. Charles Rice, and I remember at seminary he gave us that talk about, he said, you know, if he, if he goes over to his daughter's house and sees his son-in-law working on the van and he's got the hood up and he pours molasses in place of oil. Yeah. <laughs> he's funny because he's like, you know, the dad talking to the son-in-law with exasperation, but... You speak of that in the book. Okay. Right, okay. exactly. So it's it's that kind of, of thing where you would talk to a little child, you could talk mm-hmm. to a little child that way and say yeah. these silly, silly stories or ask silly questions like, right. what would happen if right. we put molasses in Daddy's yeah. car? Yeah. <laughs> and a little kid would know instantly, well, that wouldn't work. And right. so, right. Um, you know, that's the way we lay the basis for understanding that you use something mm-hmm. according to its design yeah. um, to make sure that things will flourish. And unfortunately, we're in a culture now that doesn't want to hear that things are made a certain way or that people, that mm-hmm. human beings are made a certain way, uh, that we ought to act certain ways in accordance with our nature. Right. Um, that, that has been kind of dismissed. Even in Catholic teaching, Catholic thought, nobody wants to talk mm-hmm. about the natural law anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really the only firm foundation we have at this point because we've gone so much into experiential and feelings-based thought that um, we're, we're tr- we need to pull back to something firm, and really natural law is, is that firm foundation. Right. And you make the point in the book, in that chapter, about you know, by reason we can know God's law, His eternal law, it's our participation in that eternal law, and that that is binding upon all of us. So oftentimes Catholics are just dismissed out of hand, so that's your religion talking that's but we're saying no this is natural this is you can know this by reason right right, right. so that's the beauty of the natural law and saint paul even talked about how the pagans could know certain things you know god's creation mm-hmm. certain things because it's it's in their hearts it's placed on their hearts uh so that's a, a reference to that and the idea that everyone whether they're an atheist or a catholic or anywhere in between would understand, for example, using just human reason alone, we could ascertain that, for example, murder is wrong, or rape is wrong, or even something as silly as cutting another person in line, we feel injustice, we know that there's something wrong there. And so that's something that we all can understand. And so the the, the universal moral law or the natural law applies to every human person on the planet. So it's impossible that a Catholic would be imposing this morality right. on anyone because it's true for every person. Right. Right. 
it's different from, we always say, you know, it's different from divine revelation, which you can't get to just by use of human reasons, mm-hmm. for example, the nature of the Trinity or the sacraments or the Marian doctrines or whatever. So we're not imposing that sort of thing. We're not saying you have to, you should be able to know this. And you, yeah. That's not what anybody's talking about here. We're talking about how we, how we are to act as human beings, and that is accessible to everyone. And it seems uh, so far out of reach of our culture today. But like with abortion, I think that's kind of an easier issue that, you know, I think most people can see it if they pause and think about it and that this is a human life. You can't take innocent human life. And that's something we know by reason. Uh, But in the case of sexuality and marriage, we could say its purpose is to to unite the couple, right, and to be procreative. And that marriage is about this special relationship. This is a relationship that brings forth children. It's the best way to parent children. And it's a unique relationship. We can't redefine it. Is that the basic gist? Right. So even looking at the design of the human body and that relationship, it's the only, it's the unique relationship that actually would produce a child. So in other words, that alone shows us that the consequence to that relationship or that activity is lifelong. It's something that's permanent, something that's very serious and has consequences for a lifetime. So that alone we can see this isn't just a recreational thing. Um, It has consequences in in real life for a a lifetime. So um, we can reason our way into that. We can know that. And we can also know that all cultures, not even Catholic cultures, really have understood that before us. Mm -hmm. So it's this you know, I call it like it's a universal. It's, it's a universal. It's not a just right. unique to oh this little Catholic niche or yeah. this time yeah. in this culture. It, this is the weird time. <laughs> you know, every other culture <laughs> understood this. You yeah. know that that a marriage, for example, was a conjugal union, or yeah. that a bride presupposed a groom. Right. I mean, this is like lock and key. <laughs> you you know, we, you, one presupposes the other, and right. all cultures knew this, yeah. whether or not they even believed in polygamy or not still presuppose that, that at least there was a bride and a groom, right. that it, could, right. it was never, you know, for example, homosexual in nature. Nobody would have ever thought that of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So again, we're living this weird time where these are brand new ideas mm-hmm. on the human scene, and yet we're acting as if, um, you know, oh, it was always supposed to be this way. Well, no, that only happened two seconds ago historically, and we need yeah. to take a step back and understand that that's, that's not been the case. And I, I, I like uh, Jennifer Rebecca Morris. She really stresses this point about you know marriage connects parents to the children, yes. and it's the best space to raise, educate, get children ready for the big bad world. <laughs> they need a mother and a father, an ideal situation. Right. So Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris, I love her and she did she actually wrote the foreword for my divorce book okay. because she is such a, a warrior for mm-hmm. marriage. And yes, so you have these children again. The the beauty of natural law is when it is not applied, you can look around Mm -hmm. and you can see the disaster everywhere. And so that's what I love about just talking to your teenagers about this stuff. They can just look at their friends, the school, the neighborhood, and they can see the disaster that happens when there isn't a stable marriage where a child grew up with a married mother and father in the home. It's it's uh, you know social science obviously talks about fatherlessness and or divorce and. Mm It's all there, even in the secular world. We're just not paying attention to it. But, uh, but, but that's the beauty, again, of natural law, is you can see, if you're looking, mm-hmm. you can see that things do not flourish when you, when you break apart 
what God has intended to be joined together or with a structure that he put into place from the beginning and right. what people have always generally understood and known. Right. And I know it hit me strongly just hearing confessions and things a few years ago that you know, sexuality is such a powerful thing that out of the context of marriage it just wreaks havoc in people's lives, there. especially like our teenagers who are no way emotionally prepared for this. And then there's just the disease aspect, right? Okay. STD rates are soaring. Oh, astronomical. Yeah. Like the, the last I heard, I mean, it, I, I heard there's a, a Catholic uh, speaker um, who talks about just the disease aspect of mm -hmm. it, and she, she will tell you that there is almost no chance that teenagers who have multiple partners will not get a disease. It's, it's almost like 100% you will get something, mm -hmm. and you likely won't know about it until you're married, maybe, and people don't get married until they're in their 30s now, mm -hmm. and then you find that you're infertile. Mm -hmm. So because you've had this silently right. in your body for right. so long, and uh, that's wreaking havoc right there. Right. And then, you know, ironically, it's not ironic, but, you know, here you go. So then when you're infertile and you're married, what do you do? You go to the reproductive technologies, the ones that are immoral, mm -hmm. and then you perpetuate the evil mm -hmm. by using IVF and then, you know, embryos die or your, your husband, you know, is masturbating to get right. to that, you know, to get the sperm. And then you have to um, uh, so, uh, reduce, selectively reduce or abort some of the, you get into all these terrible scenarios that started, you know, maybe way back in mm -hmm. high school because you misused human sexuality, which, like you say, no teenager is ready for the consequences of, right. you know, of unmarried sex yeah. and and uh, and all those terrible consequences, um, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Yeah. So yeah. it's a disaster. And raising daughters, maybe you could speak to that part of it that. Because you hear the femi secular feminisms saying, well, we should be able to behave like men, and slut-shaming, and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. what, is, what is the damage on the, the feminine heart that longs for marriage, oftentimes longs for children, and for relationship? The guy seems to be, I don't know what's wrong with us, but we're not quite as affected, or we're made kind of hardwired, I guess. Mm -hmm. It lends itself more to promiscuity. but. Uh, Speak about like raising your daughters and what you see there. Right. Mm -hmm. So the women and and you know God bless the difference here. We love it that the women are um, much more relational than 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 men. Men are task oriented. You know they have uh, things to, you know cities to build and 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 places to subdue and villains tasks to, and to villains feed. to fight. Exactly. <laughs> They're out protecting and providing. Yeah. And you know the women yeah. we're the hearth and the home in our nature and we um, we love deeply. We're very relational. So if you take a young girl who is really looking for love, I mean, anytime a, a teenage girl is, is having sex with a guy, I mean, she just wants him to love her. And, uh, you know, he, he may not want anything to do with that part of it. But um, so she's left with, with a broken heart, you know, and, and that just keeps perpetuating itself. And, and she's going to think um, that she's worthless. I mean, at a certain point, uh, you just start to really um, just wonder if anyone could ever care for you. You feel used. Um, even the, it's a, we talk about in the book that even women, you know, we talk about pornography, this whole section on pornography, you know, and men have, their, have the real, you know, issue with the visuals of mm -hmm. pornography and, and they get addicted very quickly and women have their own kind of pornography and, and they are addicted to porn too, but 
But our pornography, too, happens to be more of the emotional mm -hmm. pornography, like the Fifty Shades of Grey type thing, where even that, and even all these chick flicks and other things mm -hmm. that may be a little less, you know, awful than Fifty Shades of Grey, they always end with the woman getting her lifelong true love. Mm. So even women's porn, quote unquote, is about finding lifelong monogamy. <laughs> like it's the truth. It's the guy really loves me. He uh -huh. loves me. And so, um, so we have to be very aware that our nature is very is very different in, 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 from a man, even in in the issues of, of pornography or how we use sexuality. Yeah. And uh, so yes, to tell the woman, you know, you you have this self worth, and and it will just ravage you. Your heart will just be so damaged and and I always tell the boys too you may it, it may be easier you know thankfully my boys haven't been players mm -hmm. but it would be very easy it would be easier for a boy to use a girl and then move on mm -hmm. but you're gonna ha you'd have to face God one day and explain why you may be spiritually destroyed a young girl yeah. along the way yeah. and that's yeah. in your power to do that yeah. unfortunately right. so so yeah. we are different we need to approach that differently yeah. And I guess many chassis speakers point out too the, the oxytocin that's released uh -huh. to the bonding hormone, and right. that's just torn. And then I even heard that it lessens. I mean, that mm -hmm. it's like it, it's not as produced as much with promiscuity. So then the whole being ability to bond is hurt, and uh, so it's mm -hmm. just now. But the good news is that uh, young people still crave marriage, and oftentimes families. And now you're you're you have eight children, and you're living this vocation, and you have a special witness just in living that reality well. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Maybe you've experiences there that maybe impact you've seen from the witness of your you and your husband's marriage. I've actually been. It, it's <laughs> it's funny because uh, it, I almost feel like raising my kids in a very Catholic environment teaching them from an early age the natural law, um, moral law, teaching them the doctrine of the faith, teaching them to pray, taking them to mass and, and uh, teaching them the rosary and all that. I've almost thought, well, this is weird because I didn't really grow up with this type of Catholic culture. Even though we went to mass, there was not a Catholic culture. And so to me, it's almost like an experiment. And I've, I've looked back over the last 20 some years and I thought, this experiment really works. It's kind of <laughs> wild. Like, I can't even believe all my kids are still, ca again, free will. You know, they may yeah. all, you know, they could go off the rails. So yeah. far, though, they have understood, because of how we've taught them, again, to use their reason to understand how things make sense, plus the, the practice of the faith and the graces and the sacraments. They've stayed Catholic. The oldest three kids, quite counterculturally, have married young. They've wanted intentionally to marry other devout Catholics, and they've wanted to have children from their union. Imagine mm -hmm. that pretty quickly, as a matter of fact. They all were pretty much on their honeymoon. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so now, you know, they have multiple children, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. They're very happy. They're, um, they're stable. And, and then you look at the peers. You look at some of the peers around mm -hmm. them who didn't follow the way that God designed us, and they see a lot of heartache and a lot yeah. of pain and people who have yeah. left the church and people who um, are despairing mm -hmm. um, or their lives are just a wreck. Um, so I've been, I, I always, like I, you're right. I mean, to point back to the fact that Dean and I have this commitment, this marriage, mm -hmm. and we've placed vocation kind of above any other consideration, including education, even though we're very big on education. Mm -hmm. 
but Jesus didn't talk about education as much as he talked about marriage. You know, a man will yeah. leave his, his mother and right. cling to his wife. So we need to put the priorities back in order right. so that we can have a flourishing society again and our church can have a flourishing, growing, you know, families and vocations. And right. Um, right. so I found that it actually... It actually does what God promises. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. I know Paul Benedict talked about like evangelism from like a married family life just evangelizes by itself. You know, just people see that witness, and and statistically, uh, married people are happier and they have greater satisfaction with their love life and things. So it seems like it's all positive, but. You know, stuff I'm hearing a lot now as a priest is that it's just hard for people to meet one another of marriageable. Mm-hmm. So what's what's Mama say about yes. that? Yes. <laughs> well, let me tell you about that. So we were just having this discussion with friends a few minutes before this podcast. Um, I actually have, for years, I kind of fancied myself a little matchmaker type thing. So I'm not opposed to, and thankfully my children were not completely opposed to, the family's help in identifying potential spouses and saying, you know, that's a really nice young man or that's yeah. a good family or that's it. And actually that is kind of the tried and true way I think that it used to be because you know your kids better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And um, although, um, you know, it doesn't always have to be this way, but there's nothing wrong with family input or seeing, gosh, who are these really great people? So the first thing we've always told our kids is, you know, only date serious Catholics. It, you know, it, it just takes the complication and the problems away. If from from the very get go, your first foundation is okay. I already know that at least this person I'm thinking of dating or thinking that maybe one day I might be a spouse. They're already a devout Catholic, so that is that's that's the the requirement. That's the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And then you decide whether or not you're compatible, and you can figure that out. But so we've always told them that they've never seemed to have a problem with that because. Um, I think, again, the faith made sense to them, and it would be right. strange for them probably yeah. to go and try to find someone who didn't understand the natural law, didn't understand yeah. the moral law, and wanted to use contraception in the marriage, or right. didn't love Jesus. or something. That just yeah. wouldn't work for them. Right. And they, um, they clearly want a family life like they've had. Right. So, so that, that really is um, kind of amazing to me because it's, it is something we've been intentional about, but, um, but we sure didn't start our marriage that way. So it's been wonderful for God to show us that, you know, this actually is, is a beautiful yeah. way of passing along the faith through our marriage and through mm-hmm. our um, practice of the faith, and the kids have picked up on that, so it's been great. And what, what would you tell parents that maybe made some of the same mistakes you did and say, well, Mom and Dad, you, you guys did this, mm-hmm. and now you're telling me to do something mm-hmm. different. What's your answer in working with kids yeah. on that? Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty obnoxious and blunt. Like I would just be like, it doesn't matter what I did. I'm telling you, you know, that was wrong. Clearly, do you want me to tell you about the disaster my life was? I mean, I would probably be, I might be a little more veiled when they're younger, but yeah. you know, even as my kids have gotten older, and then my daughters, once they um, grew into adulthood, it's funny because one daughter really wanted to know everything. Like, okay, what did you, what did you, you weren't chased, you know? Or you, and I, you know, and I told her the truth, and the other daughter just simply doesn't want to know. <laughs> so I'm like, that's fine. 
fine. So you have to also ascertain, you know, what what does you know what's your relationship with that child? But um, but I think they got a clue. You know, a lot of my my kids, the older ones, they know that um, when we got married, we were. I've said enough about well, you know, Daddy wasn't even Christian, and I hadn't gone to confession since I was twelve, and I was pretty much a lapsed Catholic, and I didn't even go to confession before the wedding, and we did get married in the church, but you know, we didn't really care about it that much, and. Um, we had we, we were done at we I, I tell the kids all the time we were done at three kids the first three kids that was all we were going to have we were contracepting I mean they'll they'll hear that so they know that we weren't living according to God's law they know that and they kind of think it's a really cool story because again it's it's a, a story of conversion it's a redemption story and now they have these siblings and some of them are here only because of that right. and they think that's that's pretty neat so they yeah. now they have a, a witness they know that we weren't, we didn't have the advantage that they did to do it God's way right. from the beginning, right. which is the yeah. easier, more grace-filled way to live your life. And yeah. why not do it that way? Why make those terrible mistakes when you can do it the right way? Yeah. You know, and sometimes, it, I've, I've said this many times, but something, like two things in particular, I remember kind of broke me. One, the gay marriage ruling from the Supreme Court and the pot, legalization of pot, <laughs> and I was like, because that seems to come out of nowhere, and I thought, you know, don't our young people have enough trouble? We're not going to flood the streets with pot, make it more easily accessible, <laughs> you know? And I said, I don't know this culture. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is what my grandparents, even my father was like the end of the greatest generation, really kind of a baby, but, but for them watching the sexual revolution of the 60s, they must have felt the same way. And I, I feel like in our cult, in our generation, that it's like the changing mores on homosexuality has been just like baffling to me. I mean, just like everybody bowing down before this, like it's good and natural. I, I can't buy it that as many people as it appears is saying this is really true. But. I think there's a certain amount of bullying that goes on where if you uh, take the position that that's wrong, which is the natural position to take is to just to be sort of repelled by that idea uh, and since that's really bad now you can't have that position then there's a social shame that's attached to it so even adults it's the thing we want to avoid the most of all of anything is to be socially shamed I mean nobody right. wants to be socially shamed and so um, even adults yeah. just decide to be quiet right. so we're not speaking I mean that's the problem there's nobody saying this anymore because everybody's afraid because you don't want that label of hater, bigot, you know, you're a, you know, you're just this terrible person. And, um, but if we want our children to be brave and to be mm-hmm. courageous, we also have to be brave and courageous and actually, in a, in a loving way, yeah. still speak the truth in yeah. a society that doesn't want to hear it and might call us names. Yes, it, it, it's very true. We might right. be maligned and we might be made out to be, we may even be thrown in jail someday. But if we can't do it, then how on earth will our children be able to do that if they don't even see their parents being willing to be the outlier, you know? So that's part of what we talk about in the book, too, is that the kids, you know, they need to know that if you're going to be Catholic in this society, you're going to need heroic virtue because you're not comfortable anymore. It's not a place that's comfortable for a Catholic. And and that's okay because Jesus never said you're going to be comfortable in your culture. Right. But it's hard because we have been yeah. pretty comfortable. I mean, you know, right, it's right. been okay. Yeah. Now 
is starting to feel a little, <laughs> little heat, <laughs> little heat. So we yeah. have to be able to show that yeah. our kids, to our kids, that we're, we're able to, we're able to be um, different from yeah. the rest, yeah. and it's okay. And I think women have such an important voice in this too, to to kind of teach the moral law, but to do it in a loving way, and especially you parents that you have kids, they're going to have issues and problems. You never stop loving them. So we can communicate the law and say, doesn't mean I don't, I don't love you, but I can disagree. It seemed like we need to get that message out there, don't right. we? <laughs> yeah, and I think the problem is we, we have stopped being able to make a distinction between an act mm -hmm. and a person. And, and people today, because we're such a feelings-based society, they think that if someone has an idea um, or, um, or acts a certain way, then that's who they are. I think it was Dan Matson who, who talked about on his book, Why I Don't Call Myself Gay. It's a great book. And he said when he knew when the culture was lost on the issue of homosexuality was when they moved the discussion from a behavior to an identity. Because then you've crossed the line from, well, you know, this act, let, let's say you have a son who is... Um, um, you know, a petty thief or something. Right. You say, well, you know what? I love you dearly. I don't like what you're doing. It's You shouldn't be yeah. doing that because it's not yeah. good for your dignity, your human dignity. Yeah. It's wrong. It's a sin. Yeah. But I love you. Right. But now you can't do that because it's not just that they're doing something. It's that they are something. Now, mm -hmm. I am a gay man or I mm -hmm. am a lesbian. And if you say that's wrong, then you're saying I'm wrong as a human being, that I shouldn't right. exist, that my identity, you, you don't want me to you know, be a person, you, you, yeah. you want to erase me. It's like, that, what? I mean, so we've lost the distinction between the act and the person, and we must be able to articulate to our kids, especially as we teach them how to engage the culture, they have to be able to say, I'm not against you at all, I love you. Yeah. But actions are different from people. We're, we're not conflating the two. And it's, it's going to be a hard sell because we've forgotten it, but at least we can teach our own children that distinction as they grow up. Right. Let me ask you, too, the chapter in the book on homosexuality, when you explain it to big kids of what's, why is it wrong through reason, how does that argument go? So um, the, uh, the idea that going back to defining terms, first of all, that, that's mm -hmm. huge because, you know, someone can argue a point to you, but if you haven't, define the terms that you're talking about to begin with. For example, if we talk about gay marriage, which is the big love is love, mm -hmm. and marriage equality. Okay, number one, what, can you define love? What does that mean? I mean, right. love is love. Are you talking about a romantic feeling? Right. So anyone with a romantic feeling should be able to marry someone else that they have a romantic feeling about? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's kind of a modern new, completely new understanding of, of marriage because marriage was never about, oh, you need to have a romantic feeling to be married mm -hmm. or to have a, be a prerequisite. No society has ever required that, and there's no marriage license that says prove that you have a romantic feeling towards this mm -hmm. person. So what was it that was the essential thing? Well, it was always a conjugal union. It was this, uh, the ability to, you know, to consummate. Right. And um, so you have to go back and say, okay, what is love? Because, you know, mom, I love my sister, but I'm not going to marry them. So right. what is this love? So you have to go back to find that term, to find the term marriage. What's, what's interesting is every single person I've ever debated on this issue, every time I say, what, let's talk about what we're debating. What yeah. is marriage? Can you give me your definition of marriage? Mm -hmm. It's always something as nebulous as 
um, two people who um, agree to be together in this contract, um, a long-term contract with each other. And I'll say, oh, okay, so me and my gardener, because mm. I have this long-term contract <laughs> with my gardener yeah. or my cell phone company. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, what? That doesn't make... But they can't think of what it could be. So again, you know, I tell my kids, if we don't know what we're arguing about, it's this thing that has undergirded every society ever. Mm-hmm. You're wanting to completely do something new with it, but you can't define what it is or what it was. That should be a red flag. Yeah, <laughs> like we're, yeah. we're messing with something so primal, and you right. can't even define what it is or make it different from any other kind of right. d- contract between people. Right. So... So you go back to that. You go back to... Um, and let me say that, too. Yeah. That's why the government has a role there, to protect this definition, because it is so fundamental to society and culture that if we try to redefine it or blur it with all these supposed analogous relationships, it loses its meaning. Yes. So the, cult, uh, the government's got to... The civil government needs to, to strengthen this good, to protect it, give it special prerogatives in law and things like that, that it'll you know, benefit the whole culture. And that it, yeah, I, I like the point you make that it's like, yeah, love is love. It's like the government, who's the government to say who I love? Right. It, doesn't, it doesn't say anything about it. It's right. not supposed to be saying who we love. Right. This right. is about a, a unique relationship that you know, produces kids, mm-hmm. attaches parents to kids, and is an absolute fundamental cell of society. Yes. You know, right. So. And if it were not what you just said it was, mm-hmm. the state would have no vested interest in Right. protecting or promoting it at all right. because like you said the state has should have no interest in my romantic feelings for anyone what does the state have to do with that mm-hmm. yeah. so again we're just we've we've so lost the point of what marriage is and why the state yeah. would be yeah. invested in that relationship anyway right. but only because it's a conjugal union and only because that's the only union that would produce a child mm-hmm. that needs to be born into Right, to connect it to the mother and father, right. connect the mother and father to themselves. Yeah. Um, no other reason. Right. And that, that's best for kids. Um, and we'll, we'll end with this topic. We were talking earlier, and I, my, you said something I thought was so powerful about um, even like in the Catholic world, and everybody can have a podcast, <laughs> including me, that everybody's got a voice today, and, and but you hear more errors today. You know, you know, even like supposedly orthodox voices are no longer monolithic and it seems like it's much more fractured today and you got some errors sleeping in here and there. And I think what you were telling me about that there's a key to look at, you know, is it a focus on this world? And I immediately thought of Benedict because Pope Benedict talked about um, trying to, that that's been like a fundamental error of the 20th century is to promise this utopia, you know, and atheistic governments try to do it without God and it results in all this human suffering and we can lose that focus on heaven that the saints have, people of faith are supposed to have and it really changes how we do life down here, right? If we have this focus on the goal Yeah, if we lose sight of why we're doing any good work Mm -hmm. we're going to fall into a contemporary spirituality which is going to be something that looks very much like the culture, something that looks very much like the secular culture. And so when Jesus said, you know, I was hated by the world and you're going to be hated by the world. Mm-hmm. Well, if our, if our ideology and our politics and the way we do our Catholicism 
looks exactly like the secular progressive world and they're giving us applause and saying that's the kind of Catholicism I like you know I can get behind that kind of Catholicism because it doesn't upset my apple cart you know it's we're going to continue on making this earthly uh, social justice utopia this perfect Mm -hmm. world um, then you have to start to question. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Is isn't this still about redemption? You know, sin, uh, repentance, redemption, um, grace versus, yeah. uh, you know, my former life. I'm, go- I'm trying to get to heaven. I'm trying right. to get my family to heaven. If that's not the goal anymore, and you're not talking about, you know, um, zeal for souls and and wanting to build up the kingdom of of God through the church and bringing people to the sacraments, yeah. if you're not Really, if you don't have that first, and you're really obsessed with doing these earthly things, that should be a huge red flag. Um, I don't see that it is a red flag for a lot of people. I see that they're going in that direction, and they don't even recognize it. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of, um, I'm sure it's a, a function of all this social media and yeah. you know, yeah. 24-7 news and politics and all right. that. Yeah. But the devil can really snare you away from personal interior holiness and going, you know, to God and, mm-hmm. and, and orienting and ordering everything towards God versus orienting everything towards making this perfect society here, this just society where everyone is equal and everything yeah. is uh, is good. We're not going to eradicate sin down here. Right. We're not going to be able to do that, mm-hmm. the things that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's kind of a snare that just takes us away from God, and we're not even aware that it's happening. Yeah. I know sometimes I come back, it hit me like talking about Father James Martin and stuff that you know like in Mark's gospel it's so clear he just he, it opens up by Jesus saying the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the good news That's the first thing. yeah repent and have faith yeah. and it's God's kingdom that we are converted and receive yes you know and it's not this uh, I mean yeah we have to answer questions the culture has we have to speak into issues of the day and yeah, that's going to shape our maybe how we present the faith, but we lose that the saints, you know, their kind of zeal and you know they're throwing out the money changers, right? We made a false piece. Of right, them. exactly. Yeah. So you don't want to become that Catholic that really just can't be differentiated from the culture, mm-hmm. from the progressive, you know, culture, um, because then you you start to find that you dislike what the church is, is saying because it's, it starts to s- seem to you as, as in the case with Father James mm-hmm. Martin it seems mean so now the church is the one that seems to be the mm-hmm. enemy like well we just um, you know we aren't welcoming this person or that person we aren't and the church needs to learn from the culture you know mm-hmm. how best yeah. to speak and to be and to love and right. to include it's like wait 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 Mm-mm. Now your 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 enemy is more orthodoxy, yeah. and your friends are all people who are applauding you for not being so Catholic right. anymore. So right. that, again, red flags. You know, that's not exactly <laughs> what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> so I know it's almost you realize, holy cow, the remnant's a whole lot smaller. smaller than I than thought. Thought. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. We've been talking a lot about like, there's a small little flock, Lord. <laughs> you talked about your little flock. <laughs> so. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us. I know it's been a long day for you. That was wonderful. I'm really happy to speak.